Merry Christmas. This is kind of like a high holy day or something, a Christmas day on Sunday worship. Isn't that great? What a privilege it is to uh, honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There has been born for you a Savior. Boy, is this good news? It's the greatest news anyone could ever hear. Jesus saves sinners from their sin. I want to thank you guys for being a part of that musical. It was, uh, I think it was just a, almost a glorious opportunity to sing with God's people and sing those great songs, those great Christmas hymns that have so many good lyrics about the incarnation of Christ. And uh, as we reflect on that, we think about our passage today in Luke 2. And uh, it's probably one of the most familiar of all the Christmas story where you have the uh, shepherds out in the field and the angels come and the glory of God in the highest and they're to spread that uh, news as they go into the town of Bethlehem. Uh, just incredible. And it doesn't get old, does it? You know, We hear it year after year. Uh, you could do this at any time of the year. It's about the incarnation of Christ coming to us. Um, we know that Joseph was instructed by the angel like in Matthew 1 where he tells him to call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is really the New Testament version or uh, really of Joshua which means Savior. He is our salvation. This is the one who would come. This is the one who would pay the penalty for our sin. And He had to come in this perfect way and offer this final sacrifice. He was born so that He could die. And that was where it was all headed. But He first has to come. He has to be incarnated, be brought in the flesh, be fully man, be fully God. This is uh, part of the greatest uh, event in the saga of redemption that has ever occurred. This good news that is announced uh, nothing has been like this before. And at that same time, there is in the Roman Empire one who is existing as Caesar Augustus who had the title Savior of the World. He was the Savior of the World. He was like a god. Caesar Augustus was in Rome. He was celebrating himself as the Savior of the World, but we know the true Savior of the World was being born there in Bethlehem in obscurity where hardly anybody knew what was going on. There was only one true Savior. So He had come to deliver His people from their wretchedness, to bring them out of the judgment of God, and to deliver them from eternal hell to God in eternal life. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. And if we could, let's honor God's Word by standing again. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we can read it here this morning and understand how You came here and why You came here. Ultimately, it's for Your glory. That's where it's all pointing. For Your glory. But also, it's for us. And what a message it is. In Jesus' name, Amen. Wow. We get to get... You can be seated. We get to get in on uh, this great story and it's well documented by Dr. Luke. And Luke puts forth all the details that we need to know. Aren't you glad to know how God came to earth? And you get a lot of it in, um, of course, Luke and Matthew. We have, uh, first of all, this proclamation of this good news. And uh, first of all, what we're going to see are some characters that are called shepherds. We don't know who they are. We don't know their names. But they received the good news. And they're an unlikely type of people that would receive this good news. This, this good news of the ages. They happen to be shepherds. And those would be like on the lowest of the totem pole. The lowest of the low as far as jobs are concerned. They're not held in high respect at all. But uh, that's the way that God works a lot. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, we see that God elects certain people into His kingdom. And it's all His choosing. It's the way He operates. In verse 26, He says, For consider your calling, brethren, consider this, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. That is incredible what He has done. So we can identify with this because it wasn't anything that we could do. We recognize that. We weak and feeble. Uh, we are wicked, depraved sinners who have offended His holiness and yet He, by His own good pleasure, chooses some to come into that. And most of them are ones who you wouldn't even think that would be in the kingdom of God. Now, if we were writing this story ourselves, we wouldn't have done it that way. Who would we have picked? We would have picked the religious leaders. We would have picked the Pharisees. We would have picked the Sadducees. Uh, the people in the, uh, uh, as far as the Sanhedrin is concerned, the courts, whoever was in leadership, somebody that knew that, the priest, maybe the high priest, maybe he should have had it first. And so we think about that and go, well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? And then they can take it to the people. But uh, that's not the way that he works here. Uh, he takes the outcast of society, the poor. Uh, the beggars, uh, the blind. We don't even know the names of these shepherds. It's recorded here, shepherds. Wouldn't you like to know who they are? A lot of times when Paul writes at the end of a letter and epistles, he gives us some names. We don't maybe know too much about them. He might just put a name out. But 
we can't even say who these guys are. And uh, maybe one day we'll meet them, huh? Uh, you can think of shepherds, and you can think of some great shepherds. Moses was a shepherd, believe it or not. On the backside of the desert, he was a shepherd when he had been raised as uh, like the prince of Egypt. And the next thing you know, he was a shepherd. He learned how to shepherd the people by shepherding the sheep. Uh, not a high, lofty job, but there was another one who was a great king who was a shepherd. And that was David who was a shepherd. Well, the Messiah is going to come from the Davidic line, from the tribe of Judah. And we think of Jesus, and He is the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And He's the one who leads us. And you think of shepherds, you think of people with not a lot of skills, and they were usually young teens, or maybe even younger, that would take care of the sheep. So the lowliest of all professions, not much skill, they're really not given too much due by the people at all. And here's what God is doing. And He brings this one angel to Him, and then all the angels, and the glory of God is there, and they're just, they're just taken aback by this. This had to be incredible. You know, we read this, and we can say, okay, that's pretty neat, I've heard that, that's pretty cool. But you really think about it. Put yourself in, uh, in the place of a shepherd. Quiet night, and all of a sudden, all of this starts happening. And you're the one who's going to go into Bethlehem telling this good news. Bethlehem, what does it mean? It's the house of bread. Bethlehem, house of bread. Uh, Jesus said He was the bread of life. David uh, had come from this area, and, and in prophecy we know that Bethlehem, which is the, the least of the cities, it's uh, south of Jerusalem, uh, four to six miles. Today, if you were to travel that road, it would be just like suburbs that go from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. It's all connected together. But it was just a little, little bitty, bitty town south there. And uh, they happened to be in the fields. And they stayed out in the fields usually from about April to November. And uh, so that would be the common thing. It would start uh, getting a little cooler, a little cold. And we think of December. We really don't know. Of course, when Jesus was born, it was probably not too likely that it was in December. That's uh, one hint that the shepherds would have been out there in December unless it was weather like we've been having. still gets cold tonight, though. And so anyway, um, highly unlikely it was December 25th. But that's okay. We want to celebrate the incarnation of Christ. We can take that and we can run with it and we can celebrate Christ through this whole season and be a witness to the lost world who's, who are actually celebrating Christ too and they may not even know what they're celebrating about. But uh, we definitely have that news. Now they have, uh, have this flock that is out there with them in the fields keeping watch over the flock by night. This is... Uh, really would be probably sacrificial sheep. If you have sheep that are being sacrificed continually at the temple in Jerusalem, uh, you're going to have to have sheep that are available. Sacrifices are going on every day, constantly. And you have to have plenty of sheep. And so you have to have shepherds to watch over them. So they raise the sheep and they have them right there on hand, readily available. And so there they are doing their thing as they ordinarily would. It's a peaceful night. Um, they're probably uh, probably talking, maybe singing. Maybe one of them has a harp. Maybe one of them has a stringed instrument like David. And they're just kind of passing time as the night is going on out there in the uh, the fields. Maybe one of them has a flute, telling stories. Just 
enjoying uh, maybe a moonlit night. But all of a sudden, they saw something that they had no reason to be expecting. I mean, this isn't like, hey, they're waiting for an angel to appear. They'd never forget this. And we see in verse 9, it's an angel of the Lord that suddenly, out of nowhere, instantly stood before them. Right there in their face is the angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord. No angels. Up until just real recently, if we go back in that time, 500 years, we're talking hundreds of years here. There have been angels. And all of a sudden, angels are appearing. Uh, uh, you think of Gabriel, who appeared before Mary. Actually, even going back before that, to Zechariah, who was the high priest at that time. And the angel came to him and told him about a son that was going to be born to the barren wife, Elizabeth. And that would be John the Baptist. And then later, the angel appears to Mary. Angel appears to Joseph. We have an angel of the Lord appearing to these shepherds. Okay. Zechariah, high priest. Yeah. Mary. Yeah, definitely. We, we need that. <laughs> Joseph. Yeah, definitely. We need that. But the shepherds. How does this fit in? Shepherds. Shepherds. And it's interesting, uh, as, as you think about this, the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord. I can't even describe the significance of this statement. The glory of the Lord is shining about them. That's one of the high points of all of history. That this good news would come. It's finally here. It's, it's been told through the prophets for hundreds of years. God revealed through uh, going all the way back to Genesis, of course, and it keeps building up. You have that golden strand that's pointing to the Messiah. God kept giving them more information. And then 400 years before Christ, Revelation stopped. That was it. And now, all of this is happening at one time. John the Baptist, Zechariah, his wife, Mary, Joseph, the angels, the shepherds. And the glory here is dealing with the very manifestation of the presence of the Lord in light. The glory of the Lord shone around them. It's not that they see something physically there, but this presence of God has been coming in the Old Testament, for instance, in a building, a tabernacle, a tent, and then later a temple. Solomon built the temple and the glory of the Lord was there. And then, after the glory of the Lord being there, the glory of the Lord comes in this sense, but the glory of the Lord is really building up to Jesus Christ. We beheld His glory. John 1.14 The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaks about we beheld His glory. We saw His glory. We testify to this glory that we saw of Him. Um, Jesus Christ here. Human uh, He was being God in the Messiah. Uh, you remember back in Exodus, uh, cloud by day, fire by night, that kind of Shekinah glory, the presence of God right with them, the temple in 1 Kings 8. 
And then Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 10, we see that the glory of the Lord departed. Departed from there. That's sad. That was a prophecy and that's exactly what happened. He did depart. And then we see Jesus. And Jesus revealed His glory to three apostles in a way He had never done before at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 where it was like He peeled back His flesh in a sense, if we can say that. And they saw the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. They had already seen His works and His words and now they're witnessing the great transfiguration where the glory of the Lord was shining. It was like it overawed them. Peter was just wanting to just stay right there and just worship there from here on out. Hey, this is it, guys. Wow, the transfiguration of God. Right there, the person of Christ. And then we know that when Christ returns, that people will look upon Him. And they're going to see this great glory when He returns. And then we will see Him as He is. All those ones who believe Him are going to be like Him. We will see Him in His glory. Can't wait. Well, here was some kind of glory that was happening here to the shepherds out on this night. And you'll notice that this is usually what happens. The glory of the Lord is shown to somebody and then they're frightened. And what's the pattern after they're frightened? Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so they're comforted. Told not to be afraid. I mean, this is real. When we look to Christ and see His holiness, the first thing that it should do to us is make us frightened. We should be in terror, in a sense, when we first were drawn to Jesus Christ and we saw the holiness of Him. It should knock us down, in a sense, and that we see our sin. We see His bright holiness. And more and more as you go through the Word of God, you will see more and more of His holiness. It's not like you're going to see uh, everything, but it does make you very aware of your sin. And Peter, you'll remember, uh, said something like, uh, he, he was fearful. And behold, I am a sinful man. Depart from me. Jesus, I'm sinful. You're holy. Whoa. And we must always keep that in mind. But also we're told that we are to not be frightened in another sense. Don't be afraid. Fear Him and reverence and honor Him and worship Him. I see His holiness. He sees my sin. I'm in trouble. That's a blessing when that's revealed to people when they recognize what they are before a great God. And this is where the good news comes in. The angel said to them in verse 10, Do not be afraid, for behold, check this out, examine this, look, I bring you good news of great joy. As the angel's speaking, I'm sure the shepherds are going, they open their mouths or they drop, I don't know. It's euangelizo is the word that was chosen here by the Holy Spirit as Luke wrote it down. We get our transliteration, our English word, uh, evangelize, evangelism, good news. To say something good. To tell people the good news. Uh, Your sin is forgiven for eternity. How about that? 
I'm telling you, your sin is forgiven for eternity. You say, yeah, but what happens if I goof up a couple years from now and I start uh, just uh, start uh, kind of walking away? Well, you're not going to walk away from the Lord. You may feel like that. You might have that tendency to want to do that. He might let you go out on a limb for a while. I will guarantee if you really are His, your sins are forgiven and nothing will ever be held against you again. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Is that good news? We need to be reminded. Say, well, I know that. I know. I know. He's a Savior. Listen, this is why this is so great to go through the Christmas story because verse 11, which is where we're heading to, is what it's all about. Verse 11 is our key verse for the day. I mean, it's a key verse in all of Scripture. Boy, this should cause great joy. And joy is the result. When you realize that you are forgiven for eternity, you want to bust out in in great joy. And so if we're not joyous today, I hope now you are joyous because you just thought, oh yeah, the Word of God tells me that, hey, this brings joy. It's good news of great joy, which is for all the people. It was not only for Jews, but it was going to be for the Gentiles. It is going to be people that are spread out all over the earth and ultimately it's the people who have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world who He died for. And that's the people. For people that are spread out over everywhere. The highest and best joy is to receive salvation. That's the great joy. That's the highest joy. To know Christ. Have eternal life. So as we look at verse 11... That key verse. For today, right there at that time as the angel announced this, in the city of David, Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We all are in great need. We are needy people. And we just put out our hands recognizing we have nothing to offer this great God. And that's the way He wants it. We can't come before Him bringing something to Him to try to please Him when we are sinners. And it's through the person of Christ and His work. So from the very beginning, this good news of the forgiveness of sin would go to Israel and it would go to the nations. That's us. This is for us, right? For today in the city of David has been born for you. For you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. It's for you. The blood was shed. Isn't that great? Great. We know that. This is a simple gospel, isn't it? But is it profound? It is a privilege to sit here and just read God's Word and and to proclaim it. Um, Forgiveness extends to all the peoples. As a matter of fact, we can go and proclaim to all the peoples of all the nations and we are to go and make disciples of these people, of all the nations, as it says in Matthew 28. In the end, what does it matter if one doesn't take for you in a personal way. We can take this personally. First of all, you know, he's talking to the shepherds, but extends to the nation, to the nations, and extends to us 2,000 years later, and it means personally for me. Isn't that incredible? And remember, we sang those songs earlier this morning. We talked about we were 
It was like we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And we were depraved people. Needy people. Nothing to offer God. Dead spiritually. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, right? We didn't sing the rejoice part there because there was really not much to rejoice about. It was dark. People were in their sin. And then the great light appears. And so we can see that now there is good news and it's to us personally. If He's not born in me, then what difference does this really make? If people hear this and they even have it on their Christmas cards and they send those, but they're not really Christians, and if they don't take Him in as the Savior. um, Some poet said, Though Christ a thousand times in Bethlehem be born, if He's not born in me, thy soul is still forlorn. Another poet said, well, what does it matter? It matters not. But there was a Savior born for you. And so if somebody doesn't take Him in, this really is not saying anything to them. What They can proclaim it all they want, but if He's not really part of their lives, then uh, they don't want that good news. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior. That is the name for Jesus Yahshua, Yeshua, quite significant here. He's the deliverer. He's the rescuer, the savior. He saves us from our sin, death, hell, Hades. Saves us to God. So the negative and the positive. He rescues us. And really, the meaning of savior was an important part to the pagans. They saw their gods or their emperor, or in the case of Rome. Uh, their leader was considered to be a Savior. Now, Israel knew God as a Savior. And when you look at the Old Testament, their understanding is that they needed a Savior. In Exodus 14.13, I think of the Passover time, the crossing of the Red Sea, God tells Moses something pretty incredible. He's getting ready to divide the sea. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Don't be fearful. Okay, you, you can see the soldiers. You know. Yeah, they might be coming. You might hear them. Yeah, here come the Egyptians. Yeah, we know where they're at. Don't fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for you today. Just stand by. Watch this. You're not going to have to get out the paddles and try to sweep this water away. Just just watch. Check this out. You're going to see the salvation. I'm going to save you as you go through the sea. And there's the salvation. There's a, a literal physical salvation there as they are delivered from the enemy, Egypt, as they're being chased. He will accomplish this for you. That's what salvation is. We didn't do anything to get that, did we? He did it. He did it. Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to what? Save you. There is the physical sense, but also there is that spiritual sense. 
We could have many other passages all throughout the Old Testament. You'll see Him as a saving God. He is the Savior. God is the Savior. And starting in Isaiah, especially in the the 40s, you'll see a delivering God after He has pronounced judgment and wrath upon the nations. And of course, if we look in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, we have Mary saying her great magnificent God. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. God is the Savior. God is the good news. God is the good news. God is the Savior. And that is just from Mary. If you look in verse 69, here we have Zacharias' prophecy and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. A horn of salvation. We go on and on. We see these people that were living like right at Old Testament time period that was getting ready to transcend to the New Testament time period. They don't have the New Testament written. And so they were people looking for salvation. God is salvation. They were looking for a Savior. And of course, Matthew one twenty one, Joseph is told that he is to name the baby Jesus. He will save us from our sins. Save us from bad habits. Nah. Save us from an unfulfilled life. No. Something much more important. He'll save us from our sin and our guilt. I think the church needs to always go back to remembering that God sent His Son into the world to save His people from their what? From their sins. That's the issue. That's the whole idea. We're um, looking at the Savior, and He's also called Christ. The Christ. That's a title. Mashiach would be known in the Hebrew. Messiah. He's an anointed one. He's anointed as a prophet. He's anointed as a king. He's anointed as a priest. We see Him as one who is anointed. And uh, He's also called the Lord. Kurios. Kurios is supreme power. Supreme authority. When we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that means He is ruling and reigning over our lives and everything. And when we really mean that, then that is when we uh, say it in a valid way, in a legitimate way. Uh, in, in Isaiah 9.6, there was a prophecy, and we said it in our songs earlier, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord hosts will accomplish this. There's the King. The King is Christ. He's the Lord. What was happening there? You have a little child in a feed trough and he's the greatest. He's going to be the king and no way should a, uh, one who's going to be the king should be in a feeding trough. It would be one thing about being wrapped in claws. That's what they did. 
but to be put in a feeding trough where the animals would feed is quite incredible. And that was going to be the sign to these shepherds as they went into Bethlehem and they said a sign. They'll find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. That will be Him. That will be, that'll be Christ the Lord. That's going to be the King. There's not going to be any other baby that way. And here we go. We're ready to wrap this up. And suddenly, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. How many Christmas cards have this, right? And on earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. That peace is only because the Prince of Peace. We have peace with God. It's the only way we can have peace with any other kind of men because we have peace with God. The ultimate pinnacle is where we've reached. This is where everything should always take us. You can say, yeah, it's about the Savior, the one who's going to save us from our sins. And we concentrate on that, and we should. It's good news. It's great news. It's the best thing that can happen to us. But there's something even more that goes beyond that. You can say, what's better than salvation? Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. This is why things are done. This is why we're saved. Because it brings glory to God. That is really what it's about. He is pleased with this because He gets to put on display His great glory. And that night, He sure did. The highest thing that can operate in the created universe is God is being glorified by His creatures. Glory to God in the highest. Don't have enough time, but in Revelation chapter 4, 11, and 12, you get a great glimpse of glory. We're going to close here. They're glorifying God because they realize that they're just shepherds and they can't merit anything for salvation. But God is pleased to give it by His own good pleasure to these men as He also does salvation. There will be salvation peace among men because of His good pleasure and His good will. And because of that, we have borne for us a Savior Emmanuel, God with us. He is glorified. Let's pray.